to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. If you've been to Gettysburg in the last decade, you know that ads for ghost tours of the battlefield now rival t-shirt and ice cream shops as prime competitors for the tourist dollar. When the National Park Service included a panel on Civil War ghost tourism at its 2013 symposium in Gettysburg, our guest tonight was there. She had found ghost tours in Savannah when she went there to research a historical novel, and she would find them in New Orleans and at plantations along the Mississippi. Why are ghost tours so popular at Civil War and antebellum sites? And what can they tell us about the past and about ourselves? We'll ask Professor Taya Miles, author of Tales from the Haunted South, Dark Tourism and Memories of Slavery from the Civil War Era, tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Coming to you tonight, once again, from the Civil War Talk Radio World Headquarters Annex on Oxford Road in Greenville, North Carolina, not on campus of East Carolina University, not speaking for the university, not representing the university in any way, but still reporting my activities to the university, not responsible, the university, rather, is not responsible for anything said tonight by me or the guest who will speak only for herself as I speak for myself like we always do on Civil War Talk Radio. It is the last show of calendar 2016, the last show of the 2016 fall semester here. It's December. It's cold outside by Greenville, North Carolina standards, somewhere in the 40s maybe. Much colder, I'm sure, in Michigan. It is quiet here at the Civil War Talk Radio Headquarters Annex because uh, no one else is around. My 
daughters are off living their lives. Uh, one's back at school. One's driving an ambulance for a living. My wife has gone off to visit uh, one of the daughters and then off to visit her sisters for the holiday break. Her school, K-12 school, is on break now. And, um, of course, as I mentioned last week, Heidi is no longer with us. Thank you for your condolences, those many of you who sent them. Uh, it's just me and the obnoxious house cat, Candy, who is somewhere in the room, I'm sure, and will we'll howl at some point during the show. Otherwise, it's quiet. It's final exam week on campus. I've got a big stack of essays about the meaning of the Civil War, blue books to read later this evening and tomorrow. And then we'll be done with that and move on. The big news on campus, from at least in my office on campus, is that uh, next semester, turns out I will not be in the classroom. I've been asked to serve as the interim director of the Bachelor of Science in University Studies program. It's a relatively new program at East Carolina, started a couple of years ago. It is a degree for students who don't have a major. I was one of many faculty who thought this might be a bad idea. It would turn into a general studies program that students, unfocused and undisciplined students, would just pile up a bunch of credits and get a degree in nothing at all and devalue the work done by students who are actually focusing on a major. Uh, there's Candy the cat. She's agreeing with me from the next room. Fortunately, it turned out that the university, in a burst of uh, in a burst of wisdom, uh, came through and hired an actual academic person to run the University of Studies program. He was a historian at the Air Force Academy, and he recently left to get a, uh, a different job within the UNC system. And they've asked me to temporarily run the program while they hire someone full time to do this. And looking into it, it turns out it actually is a real academic program. The students have to concoct a plan that shows what they're going to focus on. It does help students graduate who otherwise might drop out, which we don't want. But it's not an easy way out. It's actually somewhat more rigorous than some of the majors. So I'm looking forward to working with this different population. It does mean I will continue to be doing this show and uh, researching and performing service, but not teaching next semester for the first time in 13 years since I've been at East Carolina. It is not by any sense of the word a sabbatical. I, there I said the S word, which is not allowed on the campus of ECU. We don't get those. Uh, the, a lot of administrators don't can't tell the difference between a sabbatical and a vacation and think that's what they are. So it's as close as I'll ever get perhaps to having time to do some writing, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I'll keep you appraised of that as the semester goes forward. We uh, a few more quick business items to take care of. Welcome, as always, to our new broadcast friends at 91.7 SBB Radio in Claxton, Tennessee, the flagship station, the only station on the East, on the uh, Civil War Talk Radio actual radio network. Everyone else is listening online. The numbers show there's there are. 20, 30, sometimes 40,000 downloads a month for the show. So if you're listening out there, you're not alone. Uh, but if you're listening on the actual radio, it means you're in Claxton, Tennessee, 
or the neighboring communities of East Oak Ridge, South Clinton, and North Powell. If you're interested in listening to me live, come join us on the Stephen Ambrose Historical Tours Tour of Civil War Battlefield Sites. Go to stephenambrosetours.com. Learn about this hallowed ground from May 20th to May 28th. Be It would be wonderful to have more listeners joining us this year. We had several last year, along with people who've never heard of the show, and we we set them straight on the first day. You can hear more about that and everything else next year when we return after winter break. Our next live show will be January 11th, 2017. Dan Welch, co-author of The Last Road North, A Guide to the Gettysburg Campaign, 1863, will be our guest. Following that up on January 18th with Pamela Toller, she is the author of Heroines of Mercy Street, The Real Nurses of the Civil War. Uh, It's a book written as a companion to the NP, not NPR, the uh, PBS series uh, about Mercy Street, uh, Nurses in the Civil War. And rounding out January on the 25th, Matt Hulbert has a new book, Ghosts of Guerrilla Memory, How Civil War Bushwhackers Became Gunslingers in the American West. So lots of interesting stuff. You can spend your Christmas money, holiday money on those books and uh, join us as we talk to the authors. You can also, as always, send contributions to Civil War Talk Radio, the current uh, program for those who are interested in helping the show out is to help out Civil War Battlefields. Your donation of $25 will get you a copy of David Long's book, The Jewel of Liberty, Abraham Lincoln, The Re-Election of Abraham Lincoln and the End of Slavery. Uh, David was a friend of the show, a friend of mine, uh, sadly uh, passed away a few years ago. And recently, a friend of his uncovered a box full of his books. So we're giving them to you for a $25 donation. Those donations will then be collected and sent en masse to the Civil War Trust in the name of David Long to support Civil War battlefield preservation. So that's a way you can help out there. Uh, Still not tax deductible. You can donate directly to the Civil War Trust. That would be tax deductible. But when you give your money to me, you get no promise. I I really will give these donations to Civil War Trust, but I'll spend the rest of any money you give me on fine bourbon, cigars, seltzer water. I'm looking around the room at random objects, uh, prescription medications, who knows what. Uh, Not tax deductible, therefore. Well, tonight's show brings us to a topic that we have not touched on in the 12 years or so of Civil War talk radio but one that you cannot escape when you go to Civil War battlefields, Gettysburg in particular, but I think it's spreading to others. Uh, The notion of the the ghost tour. I've never been on one, but our guest has, and we will find out about them uh, from our guest, Professor Tanya Miles of the University of Michigan, author of Tales from the Haunted South, Dark Tourism and Memories of Slavery from the Civil War Era. Uh, Professor Miles, are you there? I am here. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Terry. And you're right, it's cold in Michigan. Colder than in North Carolina. (laughs) I can certainly believe that. My mother's uh, on the outskirts of Detroit listening, and she gives me the weather report daily, and I I, I know it's cold there. Mm -hmm. Um, Let me just start by asking uh, about the University of Michigan, uh, my alma mater, 
uh, if you're a follower of uh, Michigan sports or if that is uh, uh, since, since you're faculty and not not student if that's something you just sort of observe from a distance well you know I started off not being a follower of any kind of sports but about five years ago my family and I moved to a house that's oh maybe four blocks away from the stadium so we uh, see people in all their gear and all their colors walking to the games and we started to feel you know just part of that contagious excitement I started hanging out a Michigan flag before the games so I guess now I sort of follow sports and that I hope we're winning well, that, that that works for me. I I put out my Michigan flag occasionally. I I've, I've acquired a purple and gold sort of surface here at East Carolina, but uh-huh. my heart is still maize and blue. I'm, I'm and and uh, we're talking about uh, ghosts and horror tonight. The, the fear that Jim Harbaugh might leave the team uh, is, is a recent rumor that uh, I found terrifying. But let's talk eighteen uh, sixties, uh, not twenty uh, first century here. Uh, your book is different, uh, certainly, in, in terms of, of topic and different in format. It originated as a series of lectures, the, uh, the Bros Lectures at the Civil War Center at Penn State University. Uh, let, let's start with the, the background of that. How did you come to, to address this topic in the first place? Well, I came to the topic by accident. I was in Savannah for the first time because I wanted to experience some of the historic homes in the city and to um, sort of soak in the atmosphere of this really famous and beautiful southern city that I had never been to before. And I was touring various places, hoping to find inspiration for uh, another project that I was working on, another book that I was writing. And while I was just walking around the historic district, I was kind of called over by a woman standing outside of a very large mansion in Madison Square. So I walked over. I wasn't aware of uh, this house before. She kind of tempted me into taking a tour. I bought a ticket. I went in. And I was really shocked by the tour narrative that I heard inside that house. And um, the tour narrative surprised me so much because it's centered in large part around a young woman named Molly who, according to the story, had been enslaved in that place and had suffered a gruesome death there. I learned on the tour that there was actually a ghost tour that happened in the evening on the site, and I was invited to come back by the tour guide to see that tour. So I did go back, really because I was um, still... There's the cat again, right? (laughs) That... That is my cat. She's, yeah. she's old and, and suffering some sort of dementia, I think. She, she wonders where she is when she howls like that. It adds to the, the ambience of our ghost story uh, it theme tonight. It does. It does add to it, actually. And that reminds me, I'll have to come back later to uh, some of the cats that are uh, um, living and, and breeding at one of the plantations that I went to. Ah. But uh, in, in Savannah, I went back for the ghost tour really because... I was still shocked at what I had heard. I wasn't expecting to hear this kind of story and what was purportedly a historic tour of this home. And I wanted to find out more about this woman, Molly, who was the center of the story. And the evening tour was even more disturbing than the daytime tour because in the evening tour, you kind of got to, uh, it's, it's 
uh, using that language, but you've got to access the slave quarters, which were off limits in the daytime when I went. This was kind of the bonus being sold as part of the ghost tour. And the slave quarters were where uh, this this um, young woman, Molly, supposedly had been hanged. So after that experience, I decided that I was going to research this woman, this house. I felt like I was on a mission to uncover the true story of her life. I wanted to find out who she was. And I was kind of imagining that I could reconstruct the story of Molly's life, put her in the context of a a broader black community in the city of Savannah, and that I would actually um, be able to offer a counter-narrative to what the tour guide had told me. But it didn't turn out to be that way at all. So the the innocent uh, historic house tour turns into a ghost tour, turns into a a historic mission to find out who Molly was. We're going to take a short break now. We're going to come back, uh, find out more about who was Molly, what was this house in Savannah, uh, what else did our guest, Professor Taya Miles, find that she writes about in the book Tales from the Haunted South, Dark Tourism and Memories of Slavery from the Civil War Era. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Talking tonight with Taya Miles, author of Tales from the Haunted South, Dark Tourism, and Memories of Slavery from the Civil War Era. 
and we heard in the first segment about how uh, Taya was looking, uh, was taking a house tour in Savannah. I think it's the, the Sorrel Weed House. Came across the story uh, of a person who had lived in the house, an enslaved person who uh, was hanged there. And like any good historian, starts to track down the real Molly. So, Taya, what did you find about uh, Molly of, of the Sorrel Weed House? What I found was that there is no record of any a young woman named Molly ever having lived in the Sorrel Weed House. There was a Francis Sorrell who was a major figure in the tour narrative. He was a very wealthy cotton um, shipping merchant who had come to the U.S. from Haiti, from Saint-Domingue, and he had also married into wealth and built this Greek Revival mansion by 1840. He did have enslaved people in the house, but according to census records, according to uh, materials at the Georgia Historical Society, according to letters of the Sorrell family, none of these individuals was ever named Molly, and there was never a dramatic event that took place at the house, such as was described on the tour. And on the tour, uh, there's actually not just one death, there are two deaths. According to the tour narrative, Francis Sorrell was having an affair, quote, affair, with his, quote, slave girl. This relationship is portrayed as being romantic, and um, it's implied that this relationship is something that uh, was consensual. So they were having a, quote, affair in the slave quarters, and his wife, Matilda, found out about it, according to the tour narrative. She then committed suicide by jumping off the balcony of the house, and Molly the enslaved girl, was later found murdered. The tour interpretation explains that it's not clear who murdered Molly. It could have been Frances Sorrell, her owner. It could have been another slave from the household. That aspect remains a mystery. However, Frances Sorrell is described as having, quote, Haitian blood or black blood and as practicing voodoo and as being someone who would have been quite capable of doing the terrible deed himself, that is, murdering Molly out of guilt, out of um, shame, out of some kind of negative emotion having to do with the death of his wife. But it turns out that even though Francis Sorrell was a real person who did live in this mansion, who, who was a slaveholder, even though his wife Matilda was a real person who did commit suicide, she did jump off of a balcony it was not the case, based on any evidence, that there was an affair between Francis and a woman named Molly, that an enslaved woman was killed in the house. And in fact, Matilda, who committed suicide in 1860, did so in the house next door, not in what is now the Francis Sorrell house that people get to tour. So um, what I found was but even though the story had been overlaid on top of a few well-chosen facts and on top of the biographies of people who, who did live, the dramatic aspects of the story having to do with a torrid affair and the tragedy of suicide because of a love triangle had really been 
created. It had been invented. And what I was able to piece together was that it really seemed likely that this invention coincided with new ownership of the house and with restoration of the house meant to ready it for the tourist industry. Now, if, if, if this were one isolated event, uh, so some, some person decides they'll make money by making up a ghost story, uh, we probably wouldn't have a discussion tonight, wouldn't have a, a book or, or a topic to talk about, but this is not the only ghost tour in Savannah, the only haunted house in Savannah. Uh, as I pointed out in the introduction, as you say in your book, there are plenty of ghost tours at many cities in the South. Uh, New Orleans uh, is another one you visited. And we also see them at, at Gettysburg. Uh, mm-hmm. Ghost tours are everywhere. Yep. Why the, the popularity of this form of historical engagement in the last decade or so? Right. Well, that's the thing that I happened upon through this project that I actually was not aware of beforehand. I knew there were ghost television shows. I knew there was something out there that people were engaged with, but I had no idea how prevalent it was until I accidentally stumbled upon one, not even looking for one. Once I did stumble upon this tour, I realized that there was a whole um, ghost touring, ghost hunting, um, kind of paranormal subculture with a lot of people engaging in it who are actually interested in things of the past and interested in Southern history and interested in Civil War era history. So um, there are a large number of people who engage in this material and in these experiences for a diverse set of reasons. And apparently, this subset of the population is so interested in these kinds of tours and so willing to pay that more and more historic sites and tour organizations are adding ghost tours to their offerings. So once I learned about Molly, I decided to find out if there's anything else like this happening in the South. And I started just doing some traveling when I could, when I had opportunity, and um, taking tours that I could find. And also talking with tour guides who were willing to be open with me. And one thing that I learned from these tours and conversations was that uh, many of the guides that I talked with said that right around the 1990s, early 2000s, they realized that if they added a story about a ghost to uh, their, their traditional tours, that it woke people up. That's almost kind of a, a direct quote from one of the tour guides. It woke people up, it got their attention, uh, that they may have been kind of falling asleep through the state history of uh, dates and historical figures' names, but a ghost tour really made people feel that the past was coming alive. And I think that is a large part of the appeal of ghost tourism, that what happened in the past no longer seems as if it is um, stayed, that it's um, fixed, and that it's behind some kind of closed door that people can't access. Instead, through ghost tours, the past comes alive and walks through, you know, right in front of people. Uh, the past comes alive and takes the shape of these uh, supernatural orbs, these lights that are supposed to represent the spirits of a, a ghostly entity. And people feel as if they have a special connection, a special way of accessing histories and experiences that they couldn't access so directly before. 
Now, these tours, they show up, uh, as you point out, at places like Savannah, New Orleans, two cities that compete for the most haunted city in America title. Uh, And they show up at places like Gettysburg, where you'd expect to find that 40,000 casualties in three days would, would lead to a lot of spirits. But they don't show up outside of battlefields or outside of the South in numbers that you would expect. Um, there are some things, I guess, that are off limits to to ghost, uh, to dark tourism. Uh, you give the example of, of the, the Twin Towers in New York. No one has yet started to make a buck off of that with the ghosts of the victims of 9-11. Maybe a century will pass and that will happen. Uh, but even a place like Salem, Massachusetts, which does play on its its ghostly uh, uh, witch trials to to some yep. extent in tourism, it, it's not the, it's not the same. Uh, right. Well, one thing that helps to feed the energy of the ghost tours and to create the ambiance is, you know, uh, frankly, having a very thick layer of death, suffering, historic events like the Civil War where there were unimaginable numbers of casualties. Mm -hmm. So it's those locations that um, really are a magnet for ghost tourists. This is one thing that surprised me too, that Savannah was actually the city named as the most haunted city in America and not Salem. And I speculate that part of the reason why really could be the association of Savannah with not only uh, yellow fever, epidemics, and revolutionary war, but also, and I think especially, the idea of the Civil War dead. And I think that this is borne out by the fact that many of the ghost tours in the South tend to have a Confederate soldier who is a part of the the cast of ghostly characters. There is, um, I think, a depth of a feeling of tragedy, loss, um, and and nostalgia, frankly, in Southern spaces that makes ghost tours um, resonate with visitors there in a different way than in other locations. And, of course, slavery is a part of that. And that's one of the things that I try to explore in the book. And that is that if we are trying to get a handle on the most traumatic episodes of this nation's past, we certainly would have to list slavery uh, at the top of the list. And uh, as I think this through in the book, I put it right next to um, the taking of indigenous people's lands. Slavery, of course, was a never-ending series of uncountable casualties, both physical and emotional, for hundreds of thousands and millions of people. And their suffering and um, their loss of relatives, their loss of life, is so palpable in the South that it almost feels as if it's a part of the atmosphere and the landscape. And ghost tourism can build on that and does build on that. I think that's the reason why a story like Molly's could be created in the 1990s. Because 
tourists know, people come to expect that spaces where individuals were held as slaves are going to be haunting locations. There's so much to work with there in a way that is different, I think, than um, many other places in the country. The the problematic nature of slavery is is one of the things that you point out in the book uh, that, that before the, say the late 20th century audiences may not have wanted to deal with it at all uh, to acknowledge or face it in any way and certainly uh, the writing and teaching of history have progressed in the United States to where students know more about slavery and acknowledge it more freely and, and are less burdened with romanticized images of it than previous generations. But that doesn't mean people are comfortable talking right. about it yet. You argue that, that the ghost story gives people a way to approach it mm-hmm. while staying distant from it. Right. And I think that the ghost tours that deal with slavery are doing multiple things at once. And this is a moment in my project, kind of in my quest around all this, where I kind of had to put on a lay psychologist hat or something, trying to think through what is the attraction of these particular stories at these sites? Why do people want to go to places where they know human beings were held as slaves and where they know human beings suffered and sort of re-experience that but through a vehicle that is supposed to be entertaining and fun? Why would people be drawn to that? Well, I think part of it is, again, the desire to experience a regional flavor of the South that people imagine. I think another part of it really does come back to what you said, and that is that even though we as a society are so much more open about the history of slavery, we have continuing difficulties, conflicts, tensions, and submerged feelings about race, race relations, racism, that stem back to that period. And so I think that engaging with stories that have to do with people who were enslaved within the frame of a, quote, fun ghost tour allows people to think about race, to think about race relations, but to do so in a way that is safe. So the story of Frances Terrell and Molly is about power, it's about gender, it's about race, it's about captivity, it's about sexual abuse. And yet people can go experience that story and think that it's fun. So they are able to, uh, in some ways, glance at those issues, but at the same time be able to laugh those issues off. Because while they're hearing about Molly, they're also getting out their um, recorders to try to record ghostly messages, or they're taking out their apps that allow them to supposedly identify where ghosts are in the room. They're taking their their photographs of um, ghost entities and then putting those online to share with the community. And uh, on some of the tours that I took, people were actually drinking alcohol while they did all this. So they were out to have a good time, and they were able to have a good time while hearing these stories that perhaps in the light of day, in a classroom setting, for instance, 
they would read very differently and take a lot more seriously. I think, I think that this context gives people permission to address these issues, to even toy with these issues, but to be able to laugh them off at the end of the day. As I was reading this book, I was struck by uh, analogies to Civil War reenactment in terms of an activity that people engage in uh, as a recreation because it's fun. Uh, nobody would actually think that having dysentery or having your arm shot off by a 12-pound cannonball would be fun. Mm-hmm. But pretending to do those things or pretending to to or to engage in the part of a Civil War soldier's life other than those, the, the so-called fun parts, um, you know, becomes a, a hobby and, and a, a lucrative uh, niche business for some people. Mm-hmm. Now, that lacks the element of, of race that is much more alive than, than uh, military uh, affairs are in modern society, so there's certainly a strong difference there. But the idea of, of engaging with the past of, of some of the worst moments in our collective past in a way that is somehow fun is is kind of a peculiar notion. Uh, we're going to take another short break and come back and explore this a little further. Our guest tonight, Taya Miles, is the author of Tales from the Haunted South, Dark Tourism, and Memories of Slavery from the Civil War Era. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu.edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. Talking tonight with Taya Miles, author of Tales from the Haunted South, Dark Tourism and Memories of Slavery from the Civil War Era. We've been talking about haunted house or ghost tours 
and uh, particularly ones in Savannah, New Orleans, other southern cities that often feature uh, enslaved people as main characters in these stories. And we left off, I was raising the issue of Civil War reenactment and, and military um, history as, as a, a fun activity. And as I'm saying that, I'm looking up at the wall of the, the room I'm broadcasting in from home tonight and seeing uh, Civil War toy soldiers that I have collected, some from when I was 10 years old, some more recently. And that's a hobby that's not not too weird. Uh, but if these were toy slave figures and slave master figures and scenes of brutality, uh, uh, you would say, what a... What, what an insensitive and, and bizarre hobby to have. But to some extent, Taya, you, you encountered people on these uh, ghost tours collecting uh, kitschy items related to the past of slavery. Uh, so, so in some ways, we do engage in these hobbies. Well, I think there are similarities, and I also think that there are some differences. Mm-hmm. One similarity is the desire to connect with the past in a genuine way, in an authentic way, and in an active way. Mm-hmm. I actually um, had not ever met a Civil War reenactor personally before going to that Gettysburg conference that you mentioned that was organized mm-hmm. by the National Park Service and Gettysburg College. Um, I happened to share one of the shuttle rides with some reenactors at that event and got a chance to talk with them and really had to appreciate just how serious they were about their endeavor. Mm-hmm. They were serious about the commitments. They were serious about learning the details and the facts of what they were interested in. And to me, that is a difference that I would say I've noticed between mm-hmm. civil actors and um, people engaging in ghost tours. People engaging in ghost tours also, I think, sometimes are, are seeking the authentic to kind of touch history um, in a way that feels more personal. But their interest really seems to be on the paranormal, on the supernatural, on um, ghosts and their appearances, as opposed to on the history and what actually took place there. So the kinds of things that I saw people buying, and this was particularly at the Myrtles Plantation, which is a very well-known um, haunted plantation for people who are interested in, in ghost tours, mm-hmm. which is located in St. Francisville, Louisiana. And the Myrtle Plantation is a bed and breakfast. Um, there is a store there where people shop. And the store was selling all kinds of items like voodoo dolls and um, dolls that look like you know cloth mammy figures, um, packaged foods that... Um, seemed like southern food, you know, soul food. And the gift shop was also selling a doll that was supposed to represent another enslaved woman, a a different one than uh, the person I was speaking of before. This one's name is Chloe, and she is a famous ghost at that plantation, at the Myrtle Plantation, who also, like Molly, suffered a brutal death and is the center of the storytelling, of the tourism narrative there. So I think that there is something that's disturbing about um, wanting to, you know, produce, sell, and buy 
a doll that's a rep, uh, replication of a woman who suffered terrible things and who actually did not exist. So Chloe did not exist just like Molly did not exist. Chloe was manufactured like Molly of Savannah was manufactured. The doll is therefore based on no real likeness. Um, these are all kind of figments and creations of people's imaginations, and I would say, you know, possibly their desires. There's also a drink at the Myrtles Plantation, uh, which is called Chloe's Bloody Mary. Mm. That is something that um, I find very disturbing. The mixing of um, fiction and, you know, a semblance of fact or reality, the mixing of entertainment and fun with violence against real people. So, yes? No, go ahead, please. I was just going to say there there is certainly some overlap about um, people perhaps who could be described as part of uh, a subculture that they're committed to who find um, pleasure and entertainment in these moments of the past or places of the past that we would would view as as being violent. There are similarities. But I think there is a difference around the kinds of things people are collecting related to um, sites of slavery and ghost tourism and even the ways in which they are engaging with these tours. I'm trying to think of recent crimes or even distant crimes back to the 60s, Charles Manson and... uh, uh, Sharon Tate, the actress. Uh, I don't think people are selling Sharon Tate dolls mm-hmm. uh, uh, for people to collect in the same way. Uh, yeah. uh, that there is obviously a difference there, and that's an important one. Uh, as I was, another thought that occurred to me reading this is, is the interest in ghost tourism as opposed to going onto the battlefield at Gettysburg, uh, talking as reenactors might do, uh, studying the past as it existed, what the soldiers ate and wore and thought and felt and were motivated by, uh, rather than studying their ghosts. Is this a sign that we're, we're entering the post-truth era in our study of the past, uh, as, as we might be in politics, where, where what really happened is not as important as, as what, what, uh, how it makes us feel? Uh, that's what's really important. Wow. Uh, uh, well, the way you put that, I think, um, is so pointed and so insightful because ghost tourism, tourism does seem very much to be about feeling, about emotion, about kind of sensation, about that the real people have um, and feeling like they might encounter one of these ghosts that they're hearing about. Um, I hope not, though. I hope this doesn't mean <laughs> Me too. that we are moving into you know a, a moment when nobody cares <laughs> what actually happened. I mean, I, I think and um, I hope that this ghost tourism phenomenon doesn't take over historic sites in a way that we no longer have tours that are trying to carefully relate what we know of what happened in the past. I do wonder, though, and I think I wonder you know, about this in the book kind of aloud, I wonder about whether or not some of these sites that are being operated by people who really care about accuracy, whether or not they should entertain working with the ghost tourism um, interests. I know Colonial Williamsburg already does have a ghost tour. Um, People may have mixed feelings about that. I may have mixed feelings about that. Mm. But if, if ghost tourism is what members of the public are interested in, 
And given that that uh, interested group is actually getting younger and younger, and I saw this at the tours that I attended, you know, people in their 30s, 20s, teens, even Girl Scout troops going to these tours, then um, this is an audience that we want to kind of invite into another way of looking at history, that we want to invite along with us into thinking about the serious questions having to do with social relations, economic and political relations in the past. And so we may need to find um, some kind of carrot that acknowledges that ghost tourism is happening. Now, you, you make the point in the book that at least these ghost tours involve enslaved people as characters. They, they don't tell the story of, say, the Myrtle's Plantation or other plantations uh, purely from a material culture standpoint. Here's the silverware, here's the furniture. Uh, or purely from the standpoint of the, the owners and masters of the house, but uh, cover the entire community of people who live there. And in that sense, it's an advance over uh, a more narrow history. But you also argue that, that ultimately these, these tours underserve uh, the history of the enslaved by portraying them in these, in, in these ways. Is, is there right. something in between where we can attract visitors' attention, but still tell uh, a more rounded story? I think there is, or at least I think we have to search for that something in between. Because the irony that you just related, I think, is real. When I talk with people, especially in Savannah, about the history of African Americans in the city, what I heard from historians, geographers who have studied there and who live there, is that it really was the ghost tours that first started talking about black people's presence, not the traditional tours. And so um, I think that that is an indication that the histories of marginalized people are sometimes going to pop up in fringe areas of the market, Mm -hmm. like ghost tourism. So what I think we need to do is to recognize that and take that awareness into our desire to um, do historical interpretation that is rooted in what we actually know about black experience and black cultural expression. So one thing that I have thought about the extent to which African Americans themselves told stories about ghosts or had beliefs in the supernatural uh, in the antebellum era and earlier. We have a vast record of that folklore in the WPA uh, narratives uh, from the Federal Writers Project. We have that in slave narratives. We have that in oral histories. We have that in African American literature. These memories, these stories, these understandings of um, um, ghostly entities and the supernatural. And we can return to black cultural material for these stories. We don't have to rely on someone who just bought a house and wants to uh, get it on the map of a historic district and making up something about uh, people from the past. We know about black people's lives from the past. So I think that's the middle area that I would um, suggest that we begin to think about. There could be discussion groups. There could be reading groups at some of these historic sites that actually read slave narratives, that actually read WPA narratives, and talk about this issue, but by using the voices of the enslaved, by grounding 
that discussion and the experiences of the enslaved. And, and as you point out in the book, a lot of the tour uh, guides that you encountered, uh, many of them are very charismatic, very good at what they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no reason that they can't ground those stories in uh, you know, more, more historical sources than, than simply making things up to, uh, to attract an audience. I, when I was getting ready to do the show this morning, I took a look at a video that you had produced with your students on the existence of slavery in Detroit, which is my hometown, uh, yeah, right. as a, a, just an example of how uh, you can find in the historical record things that people don't expect. Uh, if you go back uh, enough centuries, slavery did exist uh, in the North and Detroit and other places. And uh, tell a story that would, would attract and, and reach people uh, without having to make, make up Molly or make up uh, a character like Chloe uh, mm-hmm. and still get people's attention. So um, we have just a short time left. Uh, you were writing a novel when you started this project, and, and that has, has since come out. What what projects are you working on now? Well, right now I'm working on writing the history of slavery in Detroit, building on the work that I did with my students that you just described, where we tried to find all the material that we could about enslaved people in um, the fort of Detroit, now the city of Detroit. And... Um, when I finish that, I would like to write a novel based on some of that same material. Well, that would be uh, very intriguing, something I would definitely uh, be interested in, in looking at. So this was uh, really an interesting book. Uh, as uh, listeners, uh, as I mentioned at the, the start, it's based on a series of lectures uh, given at Penn State University at the Civil War Center there. And my experience as a reader is that when uh, lectures are compiled as a book, you often get a very readable product because it's something the author had to present to a live audience. It can't be, can't be dull for three hours, uh, and this book certainly is not. Uh, so, listeners, I think you will enjoy Tales from the Haunted South, Dark Tourism, and Memories of Slavery from the Civil War Era. Uh, the author, Ty Miles, has been our guest tonight. Ty, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful, Jerry. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. (laughs) 